Welcome to Psalm 32. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. Happy are they to whom the Lord imputes no guilt and in whose spirit there is no guile. While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. For your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My moisture was dried up as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my guilt. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, all the faithful will make their prayers to you in time of trouble. When the great waters overflow, they shall not reach them. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like horse or mule, which have no understanding, who must be fitted with bit and bridle, or else they will not stay near you. Great are the tribulations of the wicked. But mercy, mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord. Be glad, be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. Glory be to the Father. Son and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. So I have this distinct memory of being nine years old at my grandparents' anniversary party. And it was one of the big ones. It was like 40 or 50. We're on the younger side of the family. So it was a big celebratory one. And we had this big hall rented out. And in the middle of the room, there was this beautiful, gigantic cake. And when you're nine, that's all you can think about. You know, like your world is oriented around the cake. You're staring at the cake. And I remember seeing this cake and thinking, this cake looks so perfect, there's no way that's a real cake. Like, have you ever seen those cakes that are so beautiful, they almost look like they're made of plastic, right? And when you're nine, you're just dumb enough to think it might be made of plastic. 
and we just decorated with a fake cake. So I'd been staring at this cake the whole party, and, and I was wondering, is it real? Is this a real cake? I need to know. Is it just plastic? I need to know. And I, I suffer from impulse control. So at a certain point in the party, I snuck up to the cake and I poked it. And my finger went right through the icing sugar. And lo and behold, it was a cake. A beautiful white cake with one chocolatey punch right in the middle. And as soon as I did it, I had that, like, you know that immediate guilt? The, like, there's not even, like, any point of running from this. Like, I immediately was like, I shouldn't have done that. And I felt so bad, and I started sweating, and I was nervous, and I knew that someone was going to notice because it was very obvious. <laughs> and so I ran, and I hid in the kitchen. And I just waited, waited for my guilt to catch up with me. And eventually I heard my Uncle John, the loudest of my uncles, go, Did somebody poke the cake? And I was like, oh no. Oh no, it's beginning. They're going to find me. And he's like, who poked the cake? Hey, everybody, gather around, everybody. Who poked the cake? Somebody admit it. And I'm hiding in the kitchen thinking, no, it was me. I'm the cake poker. I transgressed the line of the cake and burst in with my grubby little mitts. And my dad was passing through the kitchen, and he saw me, and he knew <laughs> who poked the cake. And he could see that my bones were withering away within me. And he looked at me, and I said, Dad, I poked the cake. And he said, Thank you for telling me. We'll figure this out together. And in a moment, I could breathe again. And that's come back to me this week, meditating on Psalm 32. That it is an exhausting thing to pretend that we don't transgress against others. I mean, think about a time in your life where you transgressed against someone else. It can be big or it can be small. But if you've transgressed against another, and then you've tried to not admit that you have transgressed against another, then you know how psychologically exhausting it is to keep a bad secret hidden. To try to pretend that you did not wrong someone who has told you that you wronged them is exhausting. To carry a secret with you, something that you know you should not be doing, that you continue to persist in. It's not just that sin is like bad. Sin is bad, sure, but it's actually trying to cover, hide, excuse, defend our transgressions. That's the exhausting thing. It is exhausting. It, it drains us of our energy. To quote the psalmist, in Psalm 32, to not acknowledge our guilt is to have our bones wither away and to feel that hand of God on us and to feel our moisture, our vitality being sapped up as we try to insist we've done nothing wrong. Am I the only one who has felt this, like, 
sapping or just by general nods, have we all sort of had moments where we feel like we are not living in the light? We are not speaking the truth about ourselves and it really does start to take a toll on you. What's interesting is that as soon as you speak the truth of your transgression, you think that everything's going to go crazy. If you've ever had to confess to someone what you did wrong, you think that your acknowledgement of guilt is going to mean that the darkness swallows you up and there is no way you will ever get out of it again. But that's not true. That's actually a lie. Just psychologically, that is a lie. The truth is that when you finally say that true thing, everything just makes sense. Suddenly the truth of your words, the acknowledgement of your guilt, the fact that you are confessing a transgression just gets everything into the open. And there may be consequences and there may be things to work through, but that inner shame, that weight on your psyche, that is lifted instantly. This is why people go to jails and say, I killed someone. You think, I mean, this is like a weird example and I hope not that relatable, but <laughs> think about it. Think about if you killed someone and you got away with it. And then it weighed so heavy on you that one day you said, I have to go and tell the courts that I did this thing and go to jail for decades, and that would be better than the hell I'm living in having gotten away with murder. At the highest levels, we know that a guilty conscience destroys and disfigures your life inner and outer. So why not just say it? Just say the truth. And you know what's the best thing? All is grace. All is grace. There's plenty of grace. All is a gift. When you confess, oh, I sinned, I wronged, I transgressed, God immediately forgives you. Like immediately. Your psyche just, oh, your chains are off immediately. And the truth is, everybody knows you've been lying anyways. So everybody else is like, finally, a little honesty. You weren't fooling people with your I never wronged you talk. So now we're all in the light. Now we're all speaking the truth. Now we're all being liberated. Simply by saying what we knew was true all along. This is the joy of repentance. The joy of repentance. As long as you know all is grace. If you don't think all is grace, you got to become a Christian because it's the best. Like when you're a Christian, you totally get to have grace all the time. Stories of grace, songs of grace. If you don't have a lot of grace, you should follow Jesus. There's so much grace. And then you too can just speak the truth. It's amazing. Now, if you don't have that, if you don't have grace for others, grace for yourself, grace from God, I don't really know how to help you. Come and talk and we'll try to figure it out. But my recommendation would just be to take it on faith, that there is abundance, an ocean never ending in love and mercy for you. And once you speak the truth, it keeps on flowing in and the joy of repentance comes and suddenly your whole life is free.
The word repent, I know, by the way, is like kind of loaded. I can feel in the room that when I say the joy of repentance, half of you are like, mm, he's lying. He's lying. But I'm not. In Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, how God first communicated to God's people, the word repent is the word shuv. We all say it together like a charismatic church. Let's all say that together. Shuv. shuv. One more time. Shuv. shuv. Ooh, it feels fun to shuv. And it's just a term. That's all it means. You guys say shuv, I'll show you what it means. Shuv. shuv. Just a turn. That's it. It's got actions. It's so easy. You're just turning or returning. To repent, to shuv, is to acknowledge that you have been wandering from where you should be and to turn and return back to the light. This is where candles just become the greatest living image of this. Think about a candle. Imagine that this candle is the presence of Christ. And if we were to move towards the light, the presence of Christ, we would collide with one another on the way in, wouldn't we? We'd meet others on the road to the light. We might be seeing the light more and more brightly, or there might be times where the light seems further away, but we can always see the light. Now, once we turn from the light, there is infinite darkness. Welcome to church. Infinite darkness. There are infinite ways you could go and get lost in infinite directions. Infinite things that will not satisfy. Infinite things that will not reconcile. Infinite things that will not set you free. Infinite, a multiverse of nothing for you to pursue. And you could chase it as far as you want and go down as many roads as you want, but eventually you can also shoot. And if you imagine with me that all of this is darkness and there's only this one light, once you turn, wherever you are, no matter where you have gone, you can witness that light. And it's still coming to you. Your retinas are still processing it. The light finds you no matter where you have gone, and it guides you back home. And once you have shooved, you have turned to see the light, you know what the next step towards the light is. That next step will be as unique as every person's life. It will, it will be based on all of the factors that make up your life and where you've been wandering. But if you realize that you have not been turned and oriented towards the light, you don't need to feel really horrible and beat yourself up. That's already happening. Your bones are already feeling sapped. You simply need to recognize that you need to shoot. And once you see that light, you take the next simple step towards it. But hear this really clear. It's not like then you've got to earn the light. As soon as you turn from darkness and you witness the light, you are in the light. Done. Immediately, you are in relationship with the light exactly where you are. And you don't need to be anywhere else. You just need to keep that attention fixed. I overheard someone at morning prayer the other day, and I was not meaning to eavesdrop, but the comment was so bizarre that I just found myself eavesdropping. I heard my friend say, you know, marriage really just is repent and believe. I was like, huh. Marriage is really just repent and believe. 
And I've been thinking about that, and not just marriage, but relations, our core relationships, like marriage, family, friendship, community, any relationship that requires longevity and any relationship that requires you journey together for the long haul will be one that requires repenting and believing that it is good. It will require moments of turning and trusting, turning to each other and trusting one another as you see the light in one another, repenting, turning from the ways that we've seen things and believing that a better way is possible. And for us as Christians, that is sort of the highest level of relationship. It's true in friendships, families, relationships, but it's ultimately most true with our creator, with the source of our being, with our God. That our entire relationship with God is also turn and trust. Repent and believe. And there is joy there. There is joy there. Last week, Meg came into the kitchen, and I was excited about something, which is always <laughs> my posture. And she came into the kitchen, and I was like, Meg, I gotta tell you this story, and I just started telling her about something that had happened in someone's life. And Meg was listening, and she was like, oh, that's really cool, that's really cool. But I was like, you're, she's not enthused enough, you know? like. <laughs> It's like, I get that you're listening, but you're not like really in it. And, and the truth is, um, we had children in the other room and she was in the middle of some laundry and she was just popping in to grab an apple to head right back up. Like I had hijacked our, her time, pulled her in, and then just pushed on her my excitement, expecting that she would say, forget those children, tell me what you're enthused about, Kevin. We've been married 15 years, she knows how this works. And so, at a certain point, Meg just said, I feel like there's a reaction you're looking for here that I'm not giving you. And I get the sense that you're a little resentful about that. And as soon as she said it, I had two options. Now, the way I would have kind of de facto operating system dealt with it would have been like, no, you don't understand. This is really exciting, and you're not listening enough, and actually, this is enthusiastic, you know, and to defend myself. But here's the joy of repentance. She's right. She's right. Why would I bother fighting with her? She's right. I'm wrong. And I'm, it's not even a big deal that I'm wrong. I'm just a guy who pokes cakes. Like, of course... I get a little excited sometimes. It's not, a, it's not a heinous sin unless I insist she's wrong. But the joy of repentance was to recognize in a moment, oh, you're right, I'm wrong. Shoot back to the light. I'm really sorry, Meg, for putting that on you, and I'll tell you about this at an appropriate time. That's the joy of repentance. And so let's do two take-homes. Number one, personally, Let's talk about repentance. For what it's worth, I have found it incredibly spiritually and psychologically liberating to just confess my sin to God all the time. Like just exactly, that slap was perfect timing. Just, I feel like I slap myself and God, I, I feel like I put my wrist out, God's gonna slap me and he never does. But it's like, I just, I yell at someone in traffic and I, and I just, my, my fleshliness comes out and I'm angry and I'm just like, this idiot! 
And then I just say this, oh, Lord of mercy and me a sinner. That's it. That's it. It's the best. You should try it. Just a mumbled Lord of mercy on me, a sinner. It's so good. You know, I, I, there's pizza, and I take the bigger slice, and I get to my seat, and I realize, like, oops, I'm selfish. Lord of mercy on me, a sinner. It's just like all day long, whenever you know you did something that you shouldn't do, you don't have to beat yourself up about it, and you certainly don't need to ignore it and defend it. Just go, oh, Lord of mercy on me, a sinner, and know that he does. Yes! The joy of repentance, he does. And it's just all day, just de-staticking your soul, man. Just all day long, whenever you're snarky, self-righteous, bitter, resentful, oh, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's all you gotta do. Core to Jesus' teachings is the one who is righteous is the one who beats their chest and says humbly, have mercy on me, a sinner. Everything else flows out of that repentance. Okay, so there's a personal take home. Feel free to try it. Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like a Hail Mary prayer. Mwah. Second thing, we don't just repent and turn personally, but we also do this communally. We come together and we give our attention to Christ, his table, his light. We come together and bump shoulders with others who are moving to that light. But often in the liturgy of the church, traditionally, there would be a time of corporate confession. And this is something we've practiced in different seasons, but we haven't had a rhythm of since regathering. And I thought it might be a good thing for us to do together today, to do a corporate confession, all of us together. So here's what I'm gonna say before we do this practice together. Number one, if you are not feeling like you want to confess, um, that's okay, man, like you don't need to. If you just need to sit back and be a part of this by witnessing it, that's okay. If you would like to pray this prayer with others, a few things. Number one, I'll throw all the words up in a moment so you can see in advance what we're praying. But I'd like to invite us to actually pray it in a call and response. So I'll, I'll speak the word and we just repeat it as a community. Because I, I feel like often in confession, keeping your eyes closed helps with your attention. Number two, you don't need to think of a specific sin. I'm not going to give you like five minutes for moral inventory. All right, just declare moral bankruptcy with the thing. That's all you're doing. If there's any way I'm wrong, I admit it, God. And maybe something will pop in your mind and then give attention to that later. But just declare moral bankruptcy before God and receive that sweet, sweet grace. So, you know, we'll do it that way. Third thing, this is the biggest invitation. I'm really starting to believe that because we're creatures who are bodies, that the posture of our body matters. So you can be invited to take a posture of humility in this time. You can do that with closing your eyes, putting your hands forward. I found it's really powerful to just kneel and put your face on the ground. Because when was the last time you did that? You want to remember your confession? You want to physically take a posture to help your spirit, your emotions feel it? Down on your knees, head to the ground, hands out in front of you, eyes closed. Lord, I am not proud, I repent. So if you would like to join me, I invite you to enter into the aisles or come up to the front here and we'll all kneel together facing this candle and I'll lead us in a corporate confession. 
So if we can throw the words up to the confession just so you get a sense of what we're gonna pray. Anyone, please take a posture of reception. Find a space in the room if you would like to find a space in the room. And let's confess together. My friends in Christ, let's speak the truth. I invite you to respond after me in this confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what, we have done, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will. And walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. can stay in your posture as I read some words of blessing over you. Almighty God, have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from all our sin. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness. And keep us in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.